You pressed play on this podcast with the click of curiosity. It is another dimension, a dimension of mind, a dimension where nothing is sacred and everything is explainable. You're streaming into a land of both inside and outside of things and ideas. You've just crossed over into the midside. Welcome to the midside where we're always motivational and wistful. I'm your host, Justin Emlesneski, the hopeful bromantic, and I retroactively and proactively denounce anything anyone has ever said and ever will say on this show. Motivational and wistful is a reference to the two adjectives Spotify assigned to my 2021. This is, of course, Spotify Wrapped Week, which is interesting to me that they do... Um, 11 out of 12 months, or I don't know, do they count the December 2021 towards the next year? Or do they just not count any of it because they know everyone's listening to Christmas music all month? I don't know. It's interesting. <laughs> it's always interesting to see what comes up on Spotify Wrapped. I get Newfound Glory every year as my favorite artist. Uh, Four Year Strong is always in the top five. This year, uh, the rapper Echo made a, a huge jump into my top five. So a lot of a uh, lot of interesting stuff there. It's always crazy to me when people send me the Welcome to the Midside being in their top Spotify podcast. That's very surreal to me. I still to this day think we have very few listeners. I don't know. I don't even know if the numbers on Podbean are accurate. So it's always crazy and cool to see that. So uh, I uh, I appreciate that. We have several handfuls of listeners at least. S- several handfuls. Okay. So a handful is that considered five? Yeah, I think so. Okay, we so have several tens handfuls. Would be, tens. We have tens of tens of listeners. Okay, well, it's still crazy to me that anyone would have a as our number one podcast or in their in their uh, top podcast. That's just that's just cool. It's cool to see. It's cool to see. But as you heard, we have um, my co-host joining me this trip from Dale's Lawn, identifying as a woman to forgo his white male gay privilege, William Green. Hail to the victors, valiant Big Ten champs! What an exciting uh, game yesterday. Uh, it was uh, they scored a field goal in the first quarter. Iowa did, and then no more. So uh, don't know exactly what's going to happen, but definitely headed to the um, college football playoffs. So it's crazy. Uh, I think uh, ESPN, I posted in the in the Discord, ESPN gave Michigan a 2% chance of winning the Big Ten East and a 0.7% chance of winning, winning the Big Ten and a 0% chance of making the college football playoffs. So uh, we're we're in, indeed in the darkest of timelines if uh, a 0% chance college football team can be in the, in the college football playoffs. Always cool to see that. Always cool to see a team going way against the odds like that. I mean, I think the reason you guys were rated so low is you're in the same division in the Big Ten as Ohio State, correct? Correct. So I don't know ultimately what their formula is and everything, but it has to be they had flawed data based upon the premise that Ohio State was that good because Ohio State is perpetually overrated. And haven't you guys been close to beating them over the last few years? Yeah, dangerously close. And this, this year was the year where we actually pulled it off. Yeah, well, I think course, also uh, that there's something to be said about like even even um, even our coach was saying at the beginning during during spring uh, the spring training season that 
there was just something special about this team. And, you know, coaches bloviate things like that all the time, but um, he kept hammering that home, right? And uh, we did lose to Michigan State, but that's the only team we've lost to. And, like, just seeing the team mature and the offense, especially the offensive line mature over the season has been a lot of fun to watch. Are there any undefeated teams left this year? I think uh, Cincinnati. Cincinnati, Cincinnati. okay. But, I mean, Alabama lost, Georgia lost, Ohio State lost, Michigan lost, Michigan State. Everyone's been losing this year. So one loss is not that big of a deal this year. Uh, And hopefully Cincinnati gets their shot this year. Yeah, I hope they do. I mean, I don't think anyone – the difficulty is going to be – I don't think anyone can argue that, at least for November, Michigan – had the hardest gauntlet to go through. And um, so to come out with, you know, all all wins in November is kind of a big deal. So it's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see. I don't know. Uh, we'll probably find out when tomorrow who who's going to play what, when. So I think it's an orange bowl and the cotton bowl this year for the, uh, for the uh, playoffs. So we'll see, see who we get to play. Yeah, I'm not sure, but when you talk about November college football and everything, that's one of the things I really like about the playoff system, and I really like about the the different conferences having divisions. You you have a way that you can qualify. You have a way that you can qualify where it doesn't necessarily matter 100% what your record is. So even if you have two losses, if you can go to the championship game of your conference and win, then you can get into the playoffs more likely. So I really, really like that. And I think it'll get better if they add more teams as well, because then that creates more of that where the losses don't kill you as much because it's all based on rankings. Yeah. Uh, but before, I know you've got something else you want to talk about. I do. So I'm, do, I'm, I'm, I've been, uh, my campaign to, uh, continues to get you to try and watch Arcane. I know some of the <laughs> folks in the Discord, we've already been talking about it a bit. Um, I'm going to, there's a Secret Cinema event and I got tickets for it. I bought them, uh, gosh, a month ago. Um, I'm going to the Secret Cinema event for Arcane. So I don't know much about it, what to uh, what to expect. But what I've heard and the teaser is they've basically taken a, a giant sort of warehouse set and made uh, part of Zon, uh, part of the Undercity. Sorry. Um, and... Uh, I get to dress, I'm supposed to dress up in a particular color and I'll be a member of one of the Undercity gangs and we're going to do something involving eating and drinking, I'm sure, but also uh, looking at really cool sets made from the from the animated series. So I'm really excited about that. Uh, unfortunately, no recording devices are allowed, so uh, I'm not sure uh, if I'll have any photos, but I will report back on the Secret Cinema Arcane experience. They've done this for other movies uh, and things like that before the secret cinema thing, but I'm really excited to see what they do with Arcane. Yeah. Can you explain what that is? Like what is secret cinema? Uh, I don't know exactly, but it's basically kind of like making a, the, the way it was described to me is, is, is it's kind of like taking like what universal does for movies and making it a thing, a temporary thing for a particular movie or TV show. So think of like, uh, you know, going to Disney and seeing uh, the Star Wars uh, uh, stuff or the Cars stuff, right? Like everything will be set up. There'll be ap- actors playing different characters from um, from sort of the universe of the show, and there's some sort of um, some sort of event. So I don't know exactly 
what to expect for Arcane, but that's sort of how it was uh, presented to me. So I'm interested to see. So it's sort of like a mini theme park, but the one show is just seeing the the movie or show, essentially. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's cool. That's interesting. And and what I was going to ask you, and since this is in the L.A. area, we can use that as a transition here, is... Do you have anything you want to say about Omicron, especially because uh, is Omicron going to affect this event? Are you allowed to do secret cinema in the world of Omicron? I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't I don't think Omicron has made it to Zon yet. So I, I think uh, I'll be wearing my new phone glory mask and uh, and then we'll see. We'll see. I do have to present yeah. like all L.A. events. Uh, you're supposed to present your covid vaccination card and uh, and uh, uh so I've got, of course, I have that on my uh, Apple wallet. So we'll, uh, I'm sure they'll let me in. Yeah, I'm but, sure. But I'm only, well. I'm only double vaxxed though. So soon with Omicron, yeah, well, you got to be, like be quadruple vaxxed. and quintuple vaxxed. Every year, right? Well, of course. I mean, the flu happens every year. Why wouldn't COVID? Yeah, but I'm saying four times a year every year is what they're saying, isn't it? Oh man, I don't even know. Uh, try not to, try not to, uh, try not to uh, get into that debate. I, we talked right, about it before. It's always I'm always like, no, no, no. I care about your antibodies, not your uh, how many times you've been stuck with a needle. But that's right, right, lost right. on people. <laughs> and that's that's sort of where I'm at with all of it, and why it's not even a, a major story. And we're going to move on here in a second. But if this was really that bad, and we look at the reality that we have all these different variants, and it's basically not going away, and we're living with it. Wouldn't we have to fundamentally redesign how human life works and how human civilization works rather than just stick yourself with the needle and that fixes everything? Like if this was as bad as we're acting and we're getting these variants every year, we'd have to change everything. We wouldn't just have to say, hey, put stick a needle in you and everything's okay. Yeah, I don't think uh, I, all I have to say is the same thing I said last week. People of Earth, I am Lur of the planet Omicron Percy I-8. Is this thing on? Yeah, I don't think anyone's listening to reason when it comes to this. Yeah. just It's just funny. We're going to run out of... It's like when they named hurricanes. We're going to run out of Greek letters to name these <laughs> things. What do you name variants after you run out of Greek letters? <laughs> I don't know. Is it, is it, is it uh, Omicron 2? Well, there's 2,200 kanji in Japanese in, uh, in, in, in common use, so we could go through all the kanji. Yeah, that seems like that would be um, woke, right? That would be inclusive. Well, we can't... To, to uh, well, maybe uh, th- that's too close. Kanji are borrowed from China, so that, that might be too close to the China virus, so that might be racist. So maybe we'll have to pick another option. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it might be appropriation, too. True, 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 true. All right, well... Let, let, we're getting too farcical here, so let's just go into all the farce we experienced in this weekend. Life on the Midside. As always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do so through Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. We accept any and all support, including affirmations. That's the midside.com slash Patreon and the midside.com slash Locals. And there's one more thing I want to plug this week. Well, sort of plug, sort of get the ball rolling here. William, 
we only have after this episode two episodes left in the season did you realize that i know the time is flying by i can't believe it yeah i can't believe it's 2021 already at the end of it it's nuts uh what we do at the end of every december right before christmas we take a break until about February, end of January. That gets me through a lot of the harder wrestling season. It also gives us some time to just sort of disconnect and, you know, just live our lives and get through the holidays. But before we do that, we have our yearly farce awards. Our yearly farce awards have categories such as, you know, the the person who uh, advanced social justice in the most batshit way, right? We have the, uh, you know, the Romantic Manifestation Award. And what we do is we take nominations from all of you, and then we award those. We award those. Uh, also, we have the uh, you know the the most farcical story of the year award, which that's completely up to you guys. You guys get to nominate and vote on that. And we're going to do things a little differently this year. We've had great participation in the Discord this year, William. Yeah. And we have a great group of people who love participating in the Discord. So you know what? I'm going to put the categories in the Discord. And you guys in the Discord, you're all going to nominate, and then you're going to all talk about what you want to give for the Farce Award, and that's how it's going to work. What do you think of that, William? Sounds great. I can't wait. I'm, so I'm keep pr- particularly looking forward to Peak Farce this year because, my God, uh, we will never reach Peak Farce. Yeah, we'll never reach Peak Farce, so the Peak Farce Award is going to be interesting. I think we probably already all know what the Romantic Manifestation Award is, but it's an interesting, interesting conversation. So yeah, <laughs> yo, dude, I didn't even realize when we talked about that, like that got destroyed this week. Oh, like, people were man. angry about that. Oh man, that was nuts. But uh, um, yeah, so we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I'll put that stuff in there and keep listening to this episode to find out how you can join the Discord. How you can join the Discord? And there's a lot of people listening right now. So welcome. That's dope. All the people listening. So appreciate that. Look forward to what you have to say. All right, so the farcical stuff that came across, or, you know, it doesn't have to be farcical. There's some, one of the things that I want to talk about in here was a cool thing that I experienced. The first farcical thing, though, William, did you see the story about this woman that Fox News found, 27-year-old who grew up in North Korea, and then she went to Columbia University, and she's claiming it's as bad as um, North Korea was. Now, she's talking about things where they're trying to control the way she speaks with pronouns and everything. And also they told her Jane Austen, because she said she loved Jane Austen novels, that Jane Austen had a colonial mindset and they were racist and bigots and were subconsciously brainwashing her. So here's my question. I think the things she says are believable. Yeah. But do you think this rhetoric of, hey, it's as bad as North Korea... And the fact that it's on Fox News, do you think this is legitimate rhetoric or do you think this is, you know, the far right stoking their flames as much as the far left stokes their flames? I say, why not both? Um, uh, Midsider ACR, who's not on Discord, uh, he actually was doing grad school for a couple of semesters in Columbia and gave up because it was just so woke and so... You mean the school, not the country, right? Because you said yeah. in Colombia, which seems yeah. to imply the country. At Colombia, sorry. At Colombia, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I don't and, want people to think he's like down there learning how to roast coffee <laughs> or something. And uh, so I can I can totally believe this. I mean, we talk about 
you know, people throw around gaslighting when it, when they don't really know what it means, but like the whole, the whole, well, Jane Austen, uh, is, is brainwashing you. I mean, that's kind of gaslighting, isn't it? <laughs> and I, I can understand what, what we've, we have imported the techniques of thought control and, um, speech control, right? Like the left has definitely taken that and codified it in speech standards in, in, um, colleges. I mean, it was happening even when we were undergrads. Um, yeah, well, that's the pronoun thing she talked about, right? The idea that they demand she uses certain pronouns. Like, that's crazy. Well, not just that, but acknowledging Jane Austen's colonialness is before you could even say that you like it, right? Like, like it's invalid. It, basically, if you imagine that conversation, you say, oh, I like X. And then the person is like, X is a racist. What is that really? They're really just trying to invalidate your preferences, right? Do not be an individual. Oh, Do not have individual tastes. You know, conform to the collective. Well, the reason, look, the reason they're invalidating Jane Austen is they don't like her use of the traditional gender roles, right? I mean, if you look at something like Pride and Prejudice, it's a story that relies on and is thematically built upon analyzing and strengthening the traditional gender roles. I mean, that's pride and prejudice, right? Are, are women prideful or are men prideful? Are women, men prideful or are women prejudiced, right? You get what I'm saying here. Right. So it's built on that. So really when they're saying colonialism, that's what they mean. They, yeah. how, is, how is a, a, a woman writer, a female writer, who was born and died in England... Now, she was born the year of the American Revolution, right? 1775. How is she a colonial? Right? How is she a colonist? Right? Can you explain that to me? How does she support colonialism? Because she was alive during that time? None of her stories have anything to do with colonialism. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, white, cis, het, patriarchy? I don't know. I'm just word salading until, uh, until I make a leftist argument. You wonder what the sad part is? That wasn't even word salad to me. I actually comprehended what you were saying. <laughs> Thought you were actually going to build to that. No, I mean, I, literally, I just picked random words from uh, from my social justice uh, thesaurus, and that makes an argument. I mean, that's how it so works, I right? Ju I just Googled, and I don't know what this site is or anything, right? I just Googled, looks like it's Canadian, first of all, so that's a, the first sort of thing. Oh, no, it's Chinese. Sorry. So it's English language teaching in China. And I, all I did was I Googled Jane Austen colonialism. And I found here Jane Austen and imperialism, a rereading of Pride and Prejudice. Like, I. Wow. Uh, how? Like, it just you have to try really hard. And this shows the way. Look, this shows the way these people. And when I say these people, I mean the type of people who think in this way, right? I'm not talking about any specific ethnicity or anything. I'm talking about a self-selected group of people who choose to think in this way. This is how they fit anything onto anything. They fit a lens onto something to think about it. And I think that that's what this woman who went to Columbia University is talking about. What do you think, William? Yeah, there's only one way to see the world. Um, it, it, it's much like the classicists, right? They, they only could critique or look at things in a certain way. Um, and it's, it's not just like rose colored glasses or I don't know, woke colored glasses. It's an inability. It's a complete inability to see anything outside of these constructs that they're building. Everything is this construct. 
and there's nothing that is outside of this construct. Right. And that's the gaslighting that you're talking about. Yeah. Where they're the crazy ones, but they're convincing you that you're the crazy one because you won't accept their view of reality. Yeah. And your, hey, look right here. Here's reality isn't even an argument for them. Right. They've protected themselves from that. I think that's what's right. different and unique now. Right. Yeah. It's just. It's interesting. So if anyone has an idea of how Jane Austen or specifically Pride and Prejudice, supports colonialism, let me know. Put that in the in the Discord. I'd be interested to hear it. Instead, I'm going to move on and I'm going to talk about a, a victory I had this week, a personal victory I had this week. So uh, I don't know how my voice sounds to all of you, but I can hear how I sound a little hoarse. And I sound a little hoarse because had a couple tournaments I coached over the weekend, a couple wrestling tournaments. We're, as William said at the top, we're in wrestling season now. We're in wrestling season now, which means there's practices, there's tournaments, and I'm coaching a lot, right? I was made the the girls' varsity coach. I also help out with the kids' club team twice a week, twice a week. So, you know, I have long days on Tuesday and Thursday where I'm staying until, like, I'm staying in the mat room until, like, 7.15 p.m., right? So I'll get to school at, like, 6.45 a.m. and not leave till. 7 15 p.m. right which is fine because i enjoy it you know i'm not complaining or anything and i'm especially not complaining because of something that happened this past thursday so this past thursday the other guy who coaches wasn't there and usually when he coaches he's very sort of i don't want to say aggressive because i don't think it's the right word but he's very much like this is what i think we should do and like you can tell he wouldn't listen to any arguments and he's not terrible about it, but it's not exactly the way I would go about coaching it. But he wasn't there. He wasn't there at the kids club. So I was in charge of just running the entire practice. And there were about 16 kids there. 16 kids there. And the practice I came up with based upon my experience and Everything I've seen recently and all the coaching I've been doing, I came up with, with, we have all these new kids. I came up with, well, here's how I think it should go. And here's why I think it should go that way. And here are the drills and everything. And I just ran the kids through the drills. And I ran them through everything and I taught them. And I had 16 kids in front of me working in partners, doing it, doing what I was teaching them and improving. They were all there from the beginning. Some of them had no knowledge. Some of them had some, some of them had some experience, but they were all getting better. And I could see them in that, in that one practice improve. And I just, I, I finally, I felt like an actual coach in that moment. Like previously I had not. Then on Saturday, we had had a, a girl who's a freshman She's, she's new and she had been struggling. She struggled on Friday and she struggled on her first match on Saturday. But then in her second match, you could see the way she was using leverage and how she used it to take someone down and take her opponent down and pin her. And then all of us, you know, myself and a couple of the senior girls on the team, we just all sort of looked at each other and we were like, she just became a wrestler. And we all sort of had that same thought at the same time. And it made me reflect back on what had happened on Thursday. And, you know, I may have been coaching before that moment, but I think Thursday is the moment that I became a coach. And it makes me reflect on how people love to talk about imposter syndrome nowadays and how people don't 
feel like they are what they're pretending to be or they are what they say they are or they they aren't what everyone else sees them as. And I can say I sort of had a little bit of that before Thursday, especially because the people who were around, you know, the other coaches like last year, we had a coach who was a five time high school state champion and a division two college state champion. It's sort of like I'm coaching at the same time this guy is. And there was one time I was in a conversation with two five time high school state champion wrestlers. And I was like, I'm, why am I in this conversation? So I had a little bit of that. And I think what gets you past that and what I've learned this weekend is you just have to do something enough and actually engage with it enough that you yourself judge yourself in a way of being good at it. And I I was searching for a word, which is why I hesitated on good because I'm not sure good's the right word, but it's just the idea of, I think imposter syndrome comes from just you yourself feel like you haven't earned it enough. You yourself don't feel like you're at that level. And I shouldn't really say feel, I should say think. You don't think you're at that level. And that's sort of what I've realized over this week with this whole coaching thing. I became a coach finally because now I judge myself and say, okay, you can stand there and actually be a coach and actually be helpful. Whereas before I was still trying to figure it out, still trying to figure it out. Now I feel like I've figured it out. I've got the basics. I've got the foundation. I got the fundamentals and I can just build from there. That's gotta be a great feeling. I mean, I think you're, you're, you're hitting on an interesting point. You know, a lot of people point out that it's almost a become a virtue signal to point out imposter syndrome. Right. And I think, Maybe it comes down to a bit of uh, almost humble bragging when it comes to, you know, feeling like an imposter. And I don't know. I've tried I've tried over the, you know, as as I've advanced in my career, you, you sort of reach that point where uh, I realize there's more that I don't know than I ever thought. You know, the, the, the set of things that I know I don't know. In, even in my field, is uh, ever expanding, right? And uh, and I think maybe some of it is is that right that that people are noticing that, and I think that's that's okay to feel that way. At the same time, it's great to connect with something you have worked on, and to see your skills expressed, to see the results of your skill expression, and be able to take pride in that. You should also be able to feel that as well. If you have the foundation, then the ever expanding and changing elements of your field and knowledge that's out there are more of an opportunity than they are something that's holding you back or something you use to look down on yourself. Yeah. And yeah. you know that's certainly part of it in wrestling, right? There's a lot I don't know, right? There's a lot I still have to learn about moves and everything. But I have my foundation now that I know I'm always going to use no matter how long I coach for. That's always going to be my foundation. And now all the other stuff I can learn to go on top of that, to build on top of that. And I think that that's an opportunity. And uh, I remember what I wanted to say. The other thing you said that that builds to is what you said about careers, right? Where a lot of people will feel like imposters in their careers because they get promoted faster than they feel like they've earned. And I think that that's a 
a, a misjudging of yourself and the quality of the world around. I think when that happens, it's because you have higher standards than everyone else around you because they're lacking in something. They're either lacking in, you know, wanting that higher upper level or they're either lacking in the talent. So they need to push you into that position and hope you grow. That doesn't make you an imposter. You're just not looking at the context properly to see either they need you to grow in the position or they don't have the same high standards you do. Yeah. And I think, I think that having those high standards can sometimes get people in a bad feedback loop, like you said, of judging um, yourself more harshly instead of treating yourself kind, right? And saying, oh, here's something I don't know how to do. Let's go learn it, right? Right. It's a different mindset. Right. Well, and that's, you know, that's exactly what happened after Thursday. There was stuff I didn't know about how to use the track wrestling program. There's a website where you put everything on. And one of the things I've been trying to figure out is, you know, we did weight certification this past week and I wasn't understanding how it worked and everything because they can only lose a certain amount of weight and everything. And then I was able to find on track wrestling, the rules for that and everything. So now I was just like, Oh, okay. I get this now. This is fundamental. This is not something I can't learn. It's just out there. And now that again, I have my foundation, I know how to do this and now I'll just get better at this process from now on. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so something else that has been bugging me this week. William, remember we talked about the trailer for uh, the American Underdog story, the Kurt Warner movie? Yes, I did. Do you keep seeing the commercials for that during football? Yeah, yeah. I uh, I saw uh, the same couple commercials. One uh, was this one. The other was Jersey Mike's, which I'm very happy with. And then the other was uh, apparently you should move to Ohio because it's friendly for business. That was all the commercials during uh, college football uh, yesterday. Well, that's because you were watching a Big Ten game, the Ohio <laughs> commercial. But hey, you know what? Props to Ohio. That's what they have to market, right? So yeah. they're whoever's whoever's doing the Ohio ad ca- advertising campaign. Bravo! That's the way you should market Ohio, right? Yeah. So good for them. But yeah, I do see the Jersey Mike commercials a lot, and I always think of you whenever whenever I see them. So. That's kind of cool. But no, I keep seeing this American underdog story ad. And what's interesting about it is, remember when we watched the original commercial and we could tell there was the Christian underpinnings to it? And um, then we looked it up and the directors are these super Christian guys and they make super yeah. Christian movies. Yeah. But they've, I, I, what, what have they done? They've secularized these commercials. They don't have it in there. Yeah, it seems a little deceptive based on the first trailer that we saw. Do you think uh, they've taken God? Do you think they've taken God out? Is Baby Jesus no longer in this? No, I think he's in the movie. I don't think it's in the in the trailers because people wouldn't want to go to the movies. They're especially advertising it during the NFL because they're banking on uh, football fans going to see this. And you're right, it is deceptive, and it's deceptive in a way that made me sort of think about when people are always talking about the fundamentals of America, right? And I think part of the issue here is there's sort of a contradictory contradiction and premises at the root of America. And what I mean by this is there's a line in this trailer that annoys the fuck out of me. Okay. This trailer always says destiny belongs to the underdogs. Destiny belongs to the underdogs. First of all, that gets rid of the idea of free will. 
Second of all, it's it's a it's a super Christian mentality. The meek shall inherit the earth. God favors those yeah. who aren't as strong, are, aren't as powerful. Yep. I, I'm not even going into the turn the other cheek thing. It's just the idea of religion being used as a a, a salve, a comfort for those who don't have. Right? You know, Marxism loves to talk about the haves and the have-nots. Well, religion does that. Christianity does that, right? It says you're a have-not. Oh, that's okay. God loves you. You're going to get what you want. Everything, you know, destiny belongs to you. And they're saying that about Kurt Warner. By the way, Kurt Warner, this is a story about a dude who was a Super Bowl quarterback, right? Kurt Warner has won a Super Bowl. Am I right? Yeah, I think so. Let's look right. It up right now. So this is a top-of-the-line athlete, right? So we're going to tell a story about a top-of-the-line athlete succeeding by saying it wasn't because of him, it's because he was an underdog. That's an it's underdog. Because of God, we always know. Everyone always says, when it's when you win, it's God. Uh, when you lose, it's your own fault. Right now, this is where we have to get into the idea that this is the American underdog story, right? That's what this is called, American underdog story. There is an element in this society, in our country, in our culture, who sees Americanism as Christianity. Mm-hmm. The idea that. You know, these rules are all set up. Natural rights are the idea of letting underdogs have a chance so they can inherit the earth. That's why society is built that way. But my understanding of natural rights, William, and I think the other way of seeing things, and it's not in the Constitution, right? Because separation of church and state is the idea that everyone has a right to freedom and you will earn the life you have. Right. The life you get is the life you earn. And that means there's a certain amount of, hey, the strong, the able, not are better than everyone else, but we will support them. We will think well of them. We will admire them. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the two strains of Americanism that causes the problems that we have nowadays. This Christian, you know, destiny belongs to the underdogs thing. And then we have the the sort of meritocracy, right? The everyone starts from the same place and, you know, work as hard as you can and you will get what you earn. And I think these two things are at odds. And it's incredibly ironic. This isn't a football movie because both of them are on or maybe it's appropriate because both of them are on display here. And to see destiny belongs to the underdogs every every Sunday when you're watching this game is crazy. I mean, think about Tom Brady, right? Are we saying destiny belongs to the underdogs because he was seventh string at Michigan? He was fourth string at the Patriots or was he just the best and he worked the hardest? I prefer to see the latter. Is that just the narrative I'm telling myself? Well, I think there's part that we can appreciate an underdog in the sense of, you know, Brady's the perfect example is he didn't let he didn't take the fact that, like you said, fourth uh, on the Patriots roster. He didn't let that get in the way, right? It, it, it's it. We can take inspiration from it, I guess, is what I'm saying. But it's not because he's an underdog that made him great. That's just another. That's a that the ability to do that is because of the greatness he has built inside of his character. It's it's another result of it, not the cause. Right, and I think when you start saying destiny belongs to the underdogs, you're mixing up the the cause and the result where the cause is the hard work 
And that's what causes the underdog to succeed. Yeah. Not, oh, the end game is what caused the underdog to succeed. It's just, it's backwards. It's backwards. So the, the trailers, do they, the trailer, does it annoy you as much as it annoys me? I don't think that it annoys me quite as much as it annoys you. I, for me, it's just a, a buzz of noise when that stuff comes out. Uh, it, it's it's just it it makes it just uh, it makes my indifference meter peg like oh this isn't going to be anything good. Yeah, certainly. Well, one other thing that sort of raises a lot of people's indifferent meters, but. I find incredibly farcical is uh, whenever PETA comes out with a new campaign or publicity stunt. And if you saw their new uh, publicity stunt, William, all I have to say is uh, serial killer. Yeah, yeah, I saw and uh, it's pretty gross. I mean, this is the organization that kills the most um, dogs and cats uh, in the United States. And so it's always interesting to me, their propaganda that they try to put out. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, yeah, it, I, I guess it would be called serial killer fashion. Yeah. It reminds me of Leatherface from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So the whole idea oh, yeah. is, look, I get what they're going for, right? PETA has created these advertisements that look like they're advertising fashion using human skin as the leather rather than using animal skin as the leather. And the point is, look how gross this looks. Uh, we uh, we kill animals the same way, and we're cruel towards animals the same way. And of course, you know, there's a difference between animal cruelty and, you know, using animals to better human life, right? You don't have to, like, just, like, come in like a Highlander and chop their heads off, right? You don't have to torture them in order to, to use them for food or for, you know, supplies, but that's not what they're getting at here, right? They intentionally, William, they intentionally picked a aesthetic that looks like a horror movie to make their point they're making. Because when yeah. people use animal skin and fur, they're not using it in such a, a porous aesthetic way. And if human skin were used, and I'm not saying I support that, but if it were used, people wouldn't use it in this way to make it look like like I said, like it literally looks like Leatherface from Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah, it's made to look horrifying. I mean, good on them. It's uh, good propaganda. No one takes them seriously. They will continue to not take them seriously. Uh, I don't know who this recruits. I, I, this has got to be for their own internal audience, right? The shock value, maybe they get some press. But, I mean, that no one takes this group seriously. I can't take this group seriously. Yeah, it's it's look, it's the prey on the the emotional and the young, right? The immature and the emotionally um, vulnerable, because these are the people who are going to see this and think, uh, oh, this is disgusting. I need to, you know, support PETA. Uh, the, actually, the other group it, it interestingly appealed to was horror movie fans where they were like, I would actually buy this. I like this. And you could see somebody what would be hilarious if somebody took this and didn't use real human skin. But, you know, like they did. They make a replica of the the leather face mask. The same thing. People could make facsimiles, replicas of this that look exactly like it, but are just using, ironically, probably animal skin, right? Yeah, yeah. Or you could, yeah, there's probably a lot of different ways to make this look uh, out of, well, you wouldn't even need leather. You could just use the the synthetic stuff that people use, like in cars and stuff today. Yeah. 
All right. That's all that stuck out to me this week. That's all sort of what I went through, all the crazy stuff that came across my desk, quote unquote. So let's move on and we can talk about a a movie I saw that I wasn't going to see, but then I was really happy and pleasantly surprised that I saw it in The Hopeful Romantic with JML. As always, if you'd like to continue the conversation during the week or or now if you want to help figure out the end of the year peak farce awards, you can do so by joining our discord. It's been awesome. You know, we got a lot of people listening in as we record this episode live. Had a lot of great conversation in Discord. Uh, we had a great movie review in Discord this week. I'm going to read that in a second. So if you want to join our Discord, you can do so. All you got to do is go to the midside.com or the midside.com slash podcast. Click on any episode link. And within those is a link to join our Discord. Do that. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to get your nominations for the Peak Farce Awards. Okay, so first... First, before I give my review, I want to read a review by Midsider Cody. He watched House of Gucci. Now, this was one, uh, William, when we watched the trailers, we both tackled it, right? Yeah, I think we both tackled it because it was, it just looked a little, uh, a little campy, a little, yeah, uh, yeah. Campy is a great way of describing it. Uh, I also wasn't a fan of Lady Gaga in the trailer. I thought she looked, like you said, campy over the top. So this is what Midsider Cody had to say about House of Gucci. He said, My first inkling that this wasn't coming together is a sex scene between Lady Gaga and Adam Driver and the, scare quotes, orgasm, if we can call it that. Gaga has, or Gaga makes her look like an upside down, oh, Gaga's look makes her look like an upside-down bobblehead. I couldn't help but laugh, completely destroying any semblance of sexual tension. I mean, side aside here for me, I don't know how you can even have sexual tension when you're watching a scene with Lady Gaga, right? I, that's Maybe somebody would say that's an immature comment, but I just think she's very... Knowing her public persona and everything, she's desexualized herself in a way because she's insecure about her looks, that it, it's it's hard to have that sort of reaction. It's the first time I've thought to myself that a director should watch more porn or maybe Cody, he should just watch the Watchmen or 300 sex scene. Anyway, the accents were very thick, making it hard to understand. And in the case of Jeremy Irons kept dipping in and out of it, which was irritating. I think the film would have benefited by just being in Italian with subtitles. I actually think that's a really, really interesting uh, perspective and and claim. If you're going to do a movie like that, why not do it that way? We don't do a lot of that in America, but wouldn't that be an interesting way of doing it? And I don't think that's necessarily naturalistic if you were to do it in that way, right? It's a, it's a movie about Italians in Italy. So have them speaking Italian. Wouldn't that romanticize to an English audience that their, their culture is what their culture is. Dialogue was pretty stilted at times and worked in one scene fairly well, but the rest of the movie, it just felt like it was padding out the runtime with awkward pauses. 
Finally, I think the movie could have worked if it was just going full on Italian sleaze with the director like Sergio Martino or with a more stylish vision as with Nick Reffin, if that's how you pronounce that name. It felt very flat and lacked a sense of style that you would expect from a fashion story. And that last line, William, when you say campy, mm. yeah. I think that last line encapsulates what we were both reacting to in the trailer. This is a movie about a fashion designer, and that's how you direct it. Like, as he said, you know, it lacked a sense of style. Like, it, it just doesn't look visually interesting on top of all the acting and everything. And even um, the previous, now my, I'm blanking on the director's name, but the dual movie, right, with Matt Damon that this director did as well, it looked very flat visually. So Ridley Scott is this director, correct? Oh, I didn't. I didn't even look. Cody's typing in the chat right now. Hopefully, oh. he gets there quicker, so we don't have dead airtime. Yeah, Ridley Scott, and he said he liked the last duel. I haven't seen it. I'm just saying that to me, it looked you know visually uninteresting. Like it was the same thing with with Game of Thrones, right? And we'll see this with a lot of the trailers this week. There's stuff I really like about them conceptually, and there's one specific trailer I really like conceptually, but this influence of how they're executing them visually is just, oh, it's not any good. It's not any good. So we, Cody really appreciate that review. Thank you for the, uh, the review of house of Gucci and other people are sharing awesome comments like that in the discord. So always appreciate that. The movie I want to review this week is Encanto. Encanto is Disney's latest animated movie. It's the number one movie in the world, and I wasn't intending on seeing it. I wasn't intending on seeing it because even though I love Coco, Coco is an amazing movie. I think there's a lot of movies right now that are being made to, to ponder or to, to pander, sorry, pander to demographics outside of quote unquote white people or pander to people who say, oh, look, these companies are, 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 are going beyond white people. So I didn't think that I would like this movie. I just thought I would be annoyed by it. But I have to say... This is one of my top movies of the year, William. Even though Lin-Manuel Miranda wow. is involved in it, he wrote the mu- a lot of the music, but he didn't write the story. He didn't direct it. Okay. So they took his talents and used it for good, right? Because he's clearly a talented songwriter, right? If you watch any of the things he's done, it's just his themes that are terrible. But the theme of this movie took me by surprise. So much so... That I'm not going to lie, I was moved to tears at points in this movie, especially at the end. Especially at the end. This movie, if you ever want to see how to do a proper climax and then a resolution, this movie did very well with that. Where you had the climax. You had the point where the conflict was at its highest. And then you had the falling action, and then you had the resolution. And it was done in a way where a lot of movies nowadays, when you have the climax, and then it's just done. You're like, I don't yeah. have any other reason to watch him. There's no denouement at all. Right. They intertwine. Don't most of the women intertwine the climax and the resolution? Or they use the climax at the end to be the cliffhanger as well. Yeah, that's that's certainly true because everyone's trying to build a franchise now, right? But here, yeah, it's the structure is so great. And beyond the structure, right? Beyond the structure, the theme here is so great. And I don't want to spoil anything, so this is all I'm going to say. This is a movie about a family who 
they have a, a you know an encanto. An encanto is like a spell. It's like a, that's like what it means. It's a positive spell that helps them, right? It's magic. So this movie is magical realism. So everybody who's born into this family in this house gets a a, a gift. They get a gift from the candle. So where did this candle come from? So the grandmother, Abuela, who basically runs the household, when she had triplets with the grandfather, they had to flee where their home. They had to flee their home and run from oppressors. While they're fleeing, the grandfather had to stop and fight the oppressors, and he died. Now, that causes me to interpret... And I don't think this interpretation is necessary for the thematic understanding of the movie, but I think it strengthens it and I think it's correct. I interpret what happens next as a result of the grandfather's love. So the grandfather had to fight and they were, I want to be clear, they were young when this happened, right? So they ran away and he fights the oppressors and he dies. Then the grandmother was like, well, what are we going to do? I have these triplet babies, these babies who are triplets, and I have no place to go. I have no home. The candle that never burns appears, and a house is built for her and everything. Now, I interpret that candle as symbolizing his love, right? Like he wanted to have a good life for his children because he loved them and he wanted them to have a good life. Well, fast forward, and the three kids have been given gifts. Their kids have been given gifts and the main character of the movie, it's her ceremony for getting her gift, but she doesn't give a, get a gift. Her relationship then with the rest of the family and the grandmother is strained throughout the movie. And then what happens is the magic starts going away and the main character who doesn't have a gift is trying to figure out what's going on with the magic. And what's awesome is how it's resolved, how they show what's you know, what the miracle, the magic, the Encanto, how they show what's destroying that. What's essentially making their lives worse. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Um, it's a very bright movie, very colorful movie. Uh, I think that adds to the spectacle of it, right? This is a visual movie and it you want to watch it. You enjoy watching it. And uh, the music is great. The music is great. It's a really great experience. And there's a few songs that I think are going to become classic Disney songs. Uh, we Don't Talk About Bruno is one I can see. I can already picture hearing it going to Disney all the time. I mean, I could literally picture this at Epcot already while I was watching it. So if you love Disney movies, if you, if, honestly, if you just love Dis movies in general, this this might be a top three movie for me this year. That's how good this is. I have to think about it, though. Think about it a little bit. But I'm thinking about if it's better than Ghostbusters Afterlife or not, essentially. But this was this was an awesome movie. This is, this is when you talk about an animated movie. This is a perfect example of a so romantic animated movie. All right, let's move on. We talked about movies that are already out. Let's talk about some movies that are going to come out in Trailer Takedown. I always post the trailers in Discord on Saturdays. I do this so that you can watch the trailers whenever you feel like it. You can watch them all before the episode, watch them all after the episode, or you know you can watch a trailer, we talk about it, watch a trailer, we talk about it. 
Trailer takedown. First trailer. The Tourist is, I believe it's a BBC series starring the guy Jamie Doran from Fifty Shades of Grey. And he wakes up and he doesn't remember anything. And he's trying to figure out who he is. Uh, What's interesting to me is this kind of reminded me of like Wolverine. Because if you remember, there's parts of Wolverine's story, and I believe it's in the first X-Men movie, where they go into his, his past, or maybe it's the second one. They go into his past, and they show where he didn't, you know, he woke up, he didn't remember who he was. And, like, even with Jamie Doran's beard and everything, it looked like that. But again, this is what I'm talking about, William, with Midsider Cody's House of Gucci review and the visual style. This looks like they're, they're not trying to make this visually interesting. There's no color palette here. They're drown they're drowning everything out. It just looks boring and it's lacking energy. And just like in my music, like I need energy in my music. There's no energy in this trailer. There's nothing narratively to hook me. I'll just go read about Wolverine, Logan, Weapon X, watch old stuff. Tackle. Tackle. Yeah, this has to be one of the most boring trailers uh, that I've seen for an action movie. It, there's action. Uh, there's the semblance of a hook in the, like, oh, the person has amnesia. But that's it. The person has amnesia. That's the hook. That's it. There's nothing. I don't know what this is. Um, and I, you're absolutely right about the color palette. I think also the music. There's no music. There's no There's no sound design or sound effects that make this feel like its own thing it's just it's just kind of empty tackle tackle second trailer reacher is amazon's series adaptation of the jack reacher novels it previously was a movie starring tom cruise now it's a series starring the guy from blue mountain state i don't remember his name now, we had a lot of comments in the Discord about how he always looks like he's posing for the camera. He always looks like he's doing blue steel. Uh, I don't know about posing, but it was interesting to me that all his line delivery seemed exactly the same. Like he didn't have any emotions at all. Uh, at times it was funny. At other times it was just sort of like, okay, this guy just does the same thing over and over again. And like, look, I like how this guy looks aesthetically. I like how like he looks like you would want an action hero to look. And there was a lot of cool, like, traditional, you know, American hero, Americana stuff in here, sort of in the Western sense. But again, William, visually, it's got that same style. It's like they're trying to be realistic and gritty, but it's just like, stylistically, it's boring. And then the main character just has the same delivery over and over again. So as much as I like the, the sort of content... And I know this is, you know, comes from a very popular novel series and, the, and the, the movie was popular. And I know it would be action and, you know, the sort of you know, John Wayne style hero. I just visually and with the, the main character, I can't tackle. Tackle. What this uh, actor lacks is not aesthetic. It is charisma. There's no charm or charisma. And I don't know much about Jack Reacher novels, and I did watch the uh, first movie with Tom Cruise. You've got to have some sort of charisma. And that's 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 all I'll say about that. As far as it being visually uninterested, uninteresting, I'll plus one that when I talk about the action sequences themselves. Uh, 
I know it's a trailer, so there, there might be extra cuts in there, but the whole, I guess they're in a prison or something, and there's some punching, but there's no weight behind any of that choreography, right? It looks, it looks, it, it just looked, it looked just inserted in, right? Like it didn't, it didn't seem to make any visual sense. So yeah, I think, uh, I think this is another one that I will have to tackle. Tackle. Okay, don't, 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 don't hit it, because okay. I want to add to the charisma thing. Part, I partly like that he doesn't have charisma because it's kind of like this is what this dude would be like in real life, right? Like if Jack Reacher were a real person, isn't this what you would picture him being like? Okay, but do I want my stories to be exactly like real life? Yeah. Okay, so that's where I stand with that trailer. All right. Third trailer. Station Eleven is a series about 20 years after pandemic and the people trying to live together and go out and explore the world. It's sort of like lost meets the walking dead. And this is what I'm talking about with this influence, right? Like William, one of the things I love about Lost is its visual style, right? Lost really does. Well, here's the ensemble cast trying to figure out how to live and trying to deal with the mysteries of the world and all the craziness. And, you know, are people good or bad? It has a lot of the themes of, like, shows like The Walking Dead. Except visually, it's bright, it's it's varied, right? There's a lot of interesting things to look at. But when you look at the things we do now, they have the same sort of lost approach to storytelling. Lost is in the show. And then they have the Walking Dead aesthetic, where it's everything we've been talking about with the visually uninteresting style. I really love a lot about what they're presenting in this story. Oh, here's what happened. There's a museum of civilization and here's what happened 20 years ago and how it led to now. How do we live? How do we regroup? Do we regroup? How does society go on from here? How do these disparate groups and people live together and figure out what to do? I love a lot of that, but it's so visually terrible that I have no trust that they're going to do anything else with this tackle. Ugh, tackle. This is last of us, uh, video game sort of without the character driven elements. Um, that's kind of the feeling I got, but it, unlike the last of us movie, with all the incredible visuals and the sort of jungle taking over the city sort of aspect of it and the interesting lighting and the, uh, the, uh, horror, uh, survival horror genre, like visuals, this doesn't really draw you in. I mean, the, the element that I thought would be interesting was, is there a, uh, sort of a, uh, demagogue sort of figure, you know, religious figure, collectivism, um, uh, versus individualism, it sort of tries to hint at that, but there's not, I, there's just not a lot of meat on this bone here for this. I, it, this oh, is that another story that thing. I that I think would be interesting if you. I gotta wonder if the trailer's just cut poorly or if this is just not gonna work. I just think it's not gonna work, and that you reminded me of another thing. Uh, yeah, that was the other thing. It reminded me of the forty four hundred. Where yeah. you have these people who came back, and then you had these figures, right? You remember Jordan Collier in the forty four hundred, where it was like he's a Jesus figure. They had that character in there, and I really liked that in the trailer. And then I liked the other guy giving the speech in the Museum of Civilization, 
Like there were a lot of things that I were like that could work, but then you put it in this way that they have it. And it's like, you're, you're taking all these good elements and you're doing them in the least interesting way possible. And when you talked about the visuals, the one thing that stuck out to me was when they did the 20 years later cut, that was cool the way that looks, but that was the only thing in the whole trailer. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's interesting. You know, the last couple episodes, we've been finding a lot of trailers that, uh, lack the sort of the thematic aspects, but had sort of just have spectacle. And this, this, this one in particular strikes me as having no spectacle outside that one shot. There's no spectacle here, which makes it look really, really boring. So tackle tackle. Final trailer. Rumble, and William, it's interesting here that you just talked about all spectacle and no theme. Rumble is an animated movie about monster pro wrestling, and there's a monster who's terrible and lazy, and he's going to become good. I I think, William, this is all spectacle. I don't think there's any theme theme in here. There's no catharsis here. (laughs) Now, is that saying I'm not going to see this? No, look, I've tackled everything else. I have to pick one. I might as well just hug this. It's pro wrestling. It's monsters. It's an animated movie. It's something I can watch in between watching Arcane over Christmas week. Right? Oh, yeah. So, look, does this look absolutely terrible? No. It's almost like you would rather a movie just have some spectacle, as long as it's harmless spectacle like this, than you would have um theme and no spectacle you get what i'm saying like a movie with theme and no spectacle is just boring but a movie with spectacle and no theme is at least you know oh okay cool i can watch this for a couple hours so does this look particularly good no does it look particularly bad no it's a movie it exists it'll be on paramount plus it's not a reason to subscribe but i already subscribed to paramount plus for south park and trey parker met stone so you know what I'll probably watch this at some point. This is the definition, I think, of a Netflix and hug. Netflix and hug. Uh, I still refuse to subscribe to Paramount Plus, but uh, one of my friends logged into the TV so I could watch uh, South Park. Uh, so uh, this uh, this this is a uh, a uh, a candy snack that I could put on while uh, while uh, cleaning around the house. So I think this is also a Netflix and hug for me. Netflix and hug. All right. What did we learn this trip? William? I learned that, uh, gaslighting is a professional, uh, uh, certification. You can get at Columbia university. Justin, what did you learn this week? I think we already knew that. I think we already <laughs> learned this. No, knew that. Uh, I learned, as I said, I learned about imposter syndrome and what its roots are and you know how to get over it and what the real way to push past it is. So, Good week for that. All right. I want to thank everybody for listening to the show. Like I always say, uh, if it wasn't for you, this would just be me talking into a corner in the closet like a crazy person. It still is that, but I feel a little bit better about myself because you guys are here, especially the people listening in on Discord. Appreciate that. If you'd like to support the show, you could do so through three ways. You can go to the midside.com slash store, pick up some merch. Uh, Midsider Francesca got one of the uh, false dichotomy bro shirts. Looking really good there. Appreciate that. Uh, you can do Patreon or Locals. Patreon is per episode. Locals is per month. It's the midside.com slash Patreon, the midside.com slash Locals. You can also pick up my novel, The Cut, the midside.com slash The Cut. And also, I should have said there's four ways, because the fourth way is you can tell a friend. My voice feels like it's going to give out, so I'm not going to keep bloviating here. 
As Bill O'Reilly would say, I'm just going to say, this concludes your journey into the midside. I'm Justin Emlesneski reminding you that if things get tough, take a step back and witness the farce. Have an Omicron-free day. I really want you to watch Arcane. I told you, week after Christmas. <laughs> that's what I'm going to watch. Or the week before Christmas, sorry. The week it, before it, Christmas. It might change your top five. All right, we'll see. Just keep reminding me, okay? All right.